We're going to be in three sections of Scripture, uh, Isaiah 35, Ezekiel 38, and Psalms uh, 122. So Isaiah 35, Ezekiel 38, and Psalms uh, 22. Jesus told us that we wouldn't know the day or the hour of his coming, that we're to live in expectation of his coming. So anytime when you're studying in time events and uh, current events and the correlation of the two, and someone says, this is the day, this is the hour, uh, you know that they're a heretic. You know that they're lying to you. But we see several places in scripture where Jesus said, I'm going to give you signs of my coming. So these are the things that you need to be looking for and preparing for my coming. Many times in the epistles, we see, as you see the day approaching, it shouldn't take you by, by surprise. So as believers, we should be able to look at things around us, look at the hearts and conditions of men, and say, we definitely know we're getting closer to the soon return of Jesus Christ. So tonight, we're just going to scratch the surface. We're, we're just going to be looking at a few things uh, tonight, and, and there's really so much more that you could uh, look at. But I want to look at the rebirth and the regathering of Israel And then I want to look at a group of nations that are going to be gathered together in the end to attack Israel. And then finally look at uh, God's heart for Jerusalem as that has been uh, in the news here lately this this last month. So the main thing, though, as we go through these scriptures is not necessarily to geek out on prophecy, but to respond in the way that God would want us to, to, to be looking and crying out for his coming and looking for the expectation for Christ uh, to return. What if in our lifetime we did experience the rapture of the church, you know? That would be incredible. You know, we do know that Christ is going to return. We do know that Christ is going to rule and reign. So let's pray together. Jesus, you taught us to live our lives in expectation of your return. And we invite you to have your way, to really cause your word to speak to our hearts and lives. And as we studied this morning the importance of the Holy Spirit, not by power or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord, God, would you stir us tonight? Would you meet with us? May this not just be a, another New Year's Eve service, but a time where we could draw near to you. And Father, what would you want to speak to us? What would you want to say to us? So Lord, may we be living our lives spiritually awake and ready and being faithful to you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Isaiah 35, let's begin here. This is an amazing prophecy about the rebirth and the regathering of the nation of Israel. Isaiah 35, verse 1, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. And this took place as Israel has become a nation again in May of 1948. When they took over the land once again, the promised land, it was desolate. It was a a desert. It was a wasteland. And today, if you have the opportunity to to go to Israel, it truly has come to life. It's blossoming. Much production that's taking place. And the Lord has fulfilled his word. We think for generations that were studying the scriptures prior to 
May of 1948, and Israel didn't have a homeland. They didn't have the promised land as we know it. And for us, in, in our lifetimes, we're just used to this fact that, okay, Israel has the, their land, the promised land, but this is something that God specifically fulfilled, and we're continuing to see be fulfilled, is the wasteland has become glad. The desert has rejoiced and begins to blossom. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellence of our God. Mount Carmel, speaking of a mountain in northern Israel, and Sharon is going to see the glory of God, the excellence of God. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer. And the tongue of the dumb shall sing. The water shall birth forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool. The thirsty land springs of water. In the inhabitations of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. So we see Christ's first coming. We see him fulfilling this and, and causing the lame to walk. And we see in the rebirth of the nation of Israel that this wasteland has now become a very fertile place where the nation of Israel is prospering. And this is amazing when you stop and think about how small Israel is, how many enemies they have around them. There's really no rhyme or reason or logic why they should be prospering. But it's God's hand. It's the fulfillment of Isaiah 35. We're seeing that in front of our very eyes. We know that there's more technology coming out of Israel than any other country. That makes no sense. They're so small, but yet they're leading the way in technology. They don't have the opportunity to rely upon other nations because they never know when a nation's going to decide they don't want to support Israel. Uh, my last visit to, to Israel... They were saying we're just about to the place where we're going to be able to take salt water and use it for our drinking water, and we're no longer going to have to be dependent on any other country to receive our drinking water. And water is so important uh, in, in Israel. You know, Not a lot of water in that region, and they're right there on the Mediterranean Sea, and that's, that's their mentality. We, we can't wait for somebody else to support us. That may not happen, so, so we have to find a way to do it ourselves. And, and ultimately, for us, knowing that Christ is the Messiah and knowing this, the Scriptures, we know that that's God's hand. We know that that's the Lord's uh, fulfillment of Scripture. So God has rebirthed and regathered the, the nation of Israel, and that's a testimony of fulfilled prophecy. And turn over with me to Ezekiel 36. This is similar, talking about uh, the regathering of the nation of Israel. Then we'll go to Ezekiel 38. So this is Ezekiel 36, verse 8. But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield forth your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. For indeed, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you will be tilled and sown. I will multiply men upon, upon you, all the house of Israel, all of it, and the cities shall be inhabited, and the ruins rebuilt. I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase 
and bear young, I'll make you inhabited as in former times and do better for you than at your beginnings, then you shall know that I'm the Lord. That's an incredible prophecy from the Lord. These ancient ruins are going to be inhabited. What we find in Israel is they, they build right over these ancient cities. There's not a lot of space. So you can just dig down and dig down and dig down and you get further and further back into the history of the Bible. And these ancient places have been rebuilt. Beautiful country. And it has the glory of the former times. You, you, go, you go to Israel and you go, wow, God has truly blessed this. God has truly fulfilled his word. But this also ties into Ezekiel 38. Because this future prophecy, Ezekiel 38 talks about a group of nations that yet in the future are going to gather together and attack the nation of Israel. This hasn't been fulfilled. When this happens, when you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, then God is going to come and stand in defense of, of the nation of Israel. God is going to intervene. He's going to say, look, these nations are not going to be allowed to do this and destroy um, my people. One of the things that gets the attention of the world is the spoil. The New King James calls it the booty, you know. doesn't translate very well into our English vernacular today. But all of the, the bling bling, if you would, all of the crops, all of the prosperity, and the world says, we, we've got to have this, you know. And we're going to come, and we're going to get it, and we're going to take the spoil for, for ourselves. And what is fascinating, and I hope you see in the next few moments, is we're seeing these nations that are described in Ezekiel 38 come together in alliances in a pack against the nation of Israel. It's moving that, that direction. Now things sh shift and change with countries and some countries right now may be at a place where they're in allegiance and then six months from now that they have a falling out. But eventually it's going to come to this place. Eventually it's going to come to this point where these nations are going to gather together and they're going to attack the nation of Israel. So let's look in verse 1 of Ezekiel 38. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against them. So this is a prophecy specifically against Gog and Magog and Rosh and then Tubal and Meshach. We're saying, what in the world are these names and these places? And quite honestly, this has been very difficult for biblical interpretation because you don't see another place in Scripture that describes Gog or describes Magog. And so we're left to go, what does this mean? We know for sure that Gog in Hebrew means ruler. It's a, it's a title given to a particular ruler, and that's Gog. The land of Magog causes us to have a little bit more difficulty with interpreting what exactly is the land of Magog. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian in the time of Jesus, uh, he wrote that Magog was the Scythians that were ancestors of Russia. And so his, his view of the land of Magogs is this was the descendants of, of what we know today to be, to be Russia. And then the prince of Rosh, that Rosh is, is a title. It means chief. The word uh, Rosh means prince. And then Meshach and Tobal are cities that are in the region of the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. 
So the, the southern part of, of Russia. So we do know for certain those two cities are in what is current day to Russia. Also, we know from the text that all of this is north of Israel. That this group of, of nations that are being described is north of Israel. So you go to a map and you go north and it does point towards Russia. In verse 3, and I say, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. So God says, I'm against you, Rosh and Gog, and specific cities, Meshach and Tubal. Also, we can use the principle of deduction. Uh, we know many times in the Old Testament, as we've just studied Daniel, God makes reference to Alexander the Great. Uh, we see the Babylonians uh, referenced to, and that's not Gog and Magog. So, so you can scratch off Alexander Great from the list, Gr- Greece from, from the list. Uh, you can you know, go through and go, we know who God's not talking about here because they're not referred to in another section. So this is where it gets interesting in verse 4. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and lead you with all of your army, horses and horsemen, and splendidly clothed a great company with buckles and shields, all of them handling swords. So I do believe that Gog and Magog, Meshach and Tubal is pointing towards what we know today to be Russia. It's an interpretation. I don't know for certain, but it seems to be pointing to that region of the world. And so God puts a hook in their mouths to draw them down towards Israel. And the hook is the spoil. The hook is the the prosperity. Now here's the other nations that are mentioned that are going to come together with Gog and Magog. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, and with all of them with shield and helmet. Gomar and its troops and the house of Togarma from the far north and all of its troops, many people are with them. So there's the alliance of nations coming together. Later on in the chapter, there's a few more nations that are mentioned as well. We know Persia is what? Iran. So throughout their history, they've been known as Persia. In more recent history, they've changed their name to Iran. So if the Gog and Magog does refer to Russia and Persia is Iran, do we find in our current events, in our current news, Iran and Russia coming in close alliance. Absolutely. This has been a crazy couple of years when it comes to the relationship of Iran and Syria. Now, this is just my perspective, and I have a very limited perspective of the world. But from what I can see of the Middle East, and especially what what Russia is doing, is the Middle East is saying we are forming a world where we do not need to be dependent upon the United States of America. So Russia and Iran get together with a conflict over Syria. And they're the major players in Syria, and they've become very close, close allies. And you know Syria borders Israel. So this is really important for the nation of Israel, to, to have such close enemies right in their front yard, if, if you would. This was in the news this week. On December 26th in the Jerusalem Post, it says, Russia and Iran coming together. Their efforts comes two months after Iran signed another agreement with Russia, 
PBC Banking Technologies to connect its financial network with the global payment systems, a critical target of past U.S. sanctions that have sought to penalize individuals and entities involved in Iran's human right abuses and support for terrorism, its weapons prolification, its ballistic missiles work, and prior to 2015, its nuclear program. So Russia and Iran have come together on a financial agreement that basically makes our sanctions null and void. And this is what really got my attention in this article. An integrated bank card system will allow Russians and Irans to use their credit cards, ATM, and debit cards in both countries. I'm not making this stuff up. This is December 26th. We read in the scripture that Iran and Russia are going to come together to ultimately attack Israel in the end. And they're very close bedfellows. I mean, these guys are, are aligned together and they have a real hatred for the nation of Israel. This stuff is moving so fast. You know, I prepared this study earlier in the week, and since I was studying, things have changed in Iran. Protests have broken out in Iran just in the last few days. An article I read just a few moments before service said these are the largest protests in Iran in recent history. I mean, this is a big deal. The people are going to the streets because of how they're being treated by their own government. So here's the silver lining of what we know is happening in Iran. Many people are coming to know Christ as their Savior because they're getting sick of this government that's forcing Islam upon them. They're saying, if this is Islam, I don't know if I want it. There has to be something more, and Jesus is revealing himself to them. It's a very difficult place to be living in Iran, and there's a lot of people in Iran that are saying, I'm not in lock and step with, with this government and their agendas. So, But keep your eye on the relationship between Russia and Iran. It's really being played out in Syria. In verse 6 of Ezekiel 38, uh, Gomar, we do know, uh, is, or excuse me, the house of Togarma is Turkey. As we trace this back in the ancient history into current times and current events, we find that, lo and behold, Russia and Turkey are now entering into greater relationships as well. And this is kind of on and off with Russia and Turkey. But there was a time where Turkey was looking more to the Western world and was even an ally with Israel. But that all changed uh, real, real quickly. And now they find themselves looking to Russia. So here's a couple articles that came out December 27th. Anakars, that's the leader in Turkey, looks east how Turkey's warming ties with Russia threaten its place in the transatlantic community. Russia and Turkey have strong economic relationships underpinned by Russia's export of natural gas to Turkey. Russian tourism to Turkey, and then Turkish construction firms active in the Russian market. So did you get that? They're doing business with each other. Russia's sending natural gas, Russia's sending tourists, and then the Turks are sending up people to do construction in Russia. Anakar's reapproachment with Moscow is real. The Turkish-Russian relationship has improved considerably since a period of ten tensions and proxy war in Syria following Turkey's downing of Russia's 
CU-24 bomber in November 2015, this reapproachment has prompted discussions about Turkey's purchase of Russian-made C-40s, a long-range air and missile defense system, alongside talks on two infractions, the Turkstream pipeline and the Russian-built, owned, and operated nuclear reactor in southern Turkey. So Turkey's buying weapons from Russia, and this is in the news. I mean, this you can go read it for yourself. And then Russia's got a nuclear reactor in southern Turkey. I don't know all that's going on, but you have to almost be blind to not see Russia's really passionate pursuit of the Middle East right now. They're going for it full steam ahead. They want a presence in Russia. They, or excuse me, in the Middle East. They want to be the key player in the Middle East. I want to read through uh, the text a little bit more in uh, Ezekiel 38 so you can see the flow of what, what's happening. I don't want to lose anybody here. Ezekiel 38 is prophesying a group of nations that will come against and attack Israel. So this is verse 7 of Ezekiel 38. It says, Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all of your companies that are gathered about you, and be on guard for them. After many days you will be visited in the latter years. So God's saying this is going to happen in the end times. You will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which have long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations and now all of them dwell in safety. So God's saying you're going to be brought back to the land and you're going to dwell in safety. We've seen that take place. You will ascend coming like a storm This is speaking of these nations that gathered together, covering the land like a cloud, and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind, and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates." What you're going to continue to see in Israel leading up to this event is more safety. They're going to dwell in safety. That's exactly what the scripture is prophesying. And that in and of itself is mind-blowing. How can they dwell in safety? Well, God's hands upon it. The Lord is giving them, them, them safety. If you have the opportunity to go to Israel, it's kind of unnerving because all of the things that you see in the news. But when you go there, you feel absolutely safe, you know? I feel much more safe in Israel than I do in downtown Colorado Springs. I'm, I'm much more aware of my environment in downtown Colorado Springs or walking at 16th Street Mall uh, than, than you are in Israel. And yes, think, things happen there, but things happen here as well. I mean, if you really start to compare uh, the two, they're probably going, I'm not sure I want to go over to the United States. It seems pretty unsafe over there, right? You know, And th- there is an incredible amount of safety, and that's going to continue In verse 17, to make plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations. So Israel's been gathered from the nations. The Jews have come from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. So Gog and Magog, they're going to come to to get all of the, the prosperity. Here's a few more nations mentioned. Seba, Dedan, and the merchants of Tarshish and all of their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? 
Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel dwell in safety, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north. So we know that Gog and Magog for sure is from the far north. You and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land, and it will be in the latter days. And I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I'm hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I've spoken in the former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them. And then the rest of 38 going into 39 talks about God's judgment of of Gog and Magog, God God intervening himself when these nations attack Israel. So I want to bring this section of scripture before you so you can study on your own. Uh, Get to know these nations that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38. Look for their alliances for one another and their hatred for the nation of Israel. I want to talk about one more thing, Psalms 122. Uh, It's become a hot topic uh, since our president uh, declared that we, the United States, recognize Jerusalem as the capital uh, of Israel. And Isaiah, or excuse me, Psalms 122, 122, talks about God's heart uh, for uh, Jerusalem. And I want to just kind of unpack this from a biblical and historical perspective and then how we're to respond uh, today specifically with Jerusalem. I was glad when you said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Here's the instruction. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your places. For the sake of my brethren and companies, I will say, Peace be with you, because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. A lot of times we think of this verse as pray for the peace of Israel, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a good thing to do. But what does the text say? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God knows that Jerusalem is going to be a place of great conflict and great fighting, and he instructs us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And what comes with it if you do pray for the peace of Jerusalem? It says, may they prosper who love you. And so you will prosper, you will have God's blessing, again, not this financial promise, but God's blessing if you will pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So no matter what you think about Trump's decision for us to say that we recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, we have our mandate as Christians to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. If you're a Christ follower, if you believe in the scripture, it's a clear command, Psalms 122, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And maybe you're saying, why is Jerusalem such a big deal? You know, why is there so much controversy and fighting over 
Jerusalem. Joel Rosenberg has written a lot of great stuff on Israel and uh, specifically upon uh, Jerusalem. Again, his name's Joel Rosenberg, if you want to look up some of his stuff. But he calls Israel the epicenter, and then specifically inside of Israel, Jerusalem being the epicenter. From a biblical perspective of all of the events that have happened in the past in the Bible and that are prophesied in the future, where do they happen? They happen in Israel. So from a biblical perspective, Israel is our epicenter. The impact of the gospel happened in Jerusalem. The death and crucifixion of Christ happened right there and has had shocks through, throughout the world. So, so Israel, but then specifically Jerusalem. We think of all of the events that are significant. Where do they happen? They happened in Jerusalem. Christ died in Jerusalem. The temple was built in Jerusalem. Christ rose from the dead in Jerusalem. We've talked about this before, but Jesus told us when he returns, he's coming to Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives. He's not coming to Syria. He's not coming to London. He's, he's not coming to, to New York. He's, he's going to land right on the, the Mount of Olives. So Jerusalem specifically is a very important city biblically. In 1 Kings eleven thirty six, it says this. This is what God declares. He says, And to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. God said, of all of the places in the world, I have chosen Jerusalem for myself. It belongs to me, and I'm going to put my name there. So it has great biblical significance, and it has great historical significance. David was the first to declare that Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. He was the one that moved his palace there. Do you remember how? He said, any of my fighters, any of my warriors, if you can conquer Jerusalem, you will be my commander-in-chief. And Joab was the one who did it. And Jerusalem was conquered. And from Israel's perspective, Jerusalem has been their, their capital ever since. And then we travel through time in history, and they lost domain of their own land. In AD 70, all the way till 1948, the Jews did not have control of the nation of Israel. When they were granted Israel in May of 1948, in 1949, they, they declared Jerusalem their capital. So, so this has been something that, that they have declared, and God has declared for a long, long time. The Palestinians obviously want Jerusalem for themselves also to be their capital. Uh, Jerusalem, and specifically the Temple Mount, is the third holiest site for the Muslim world. So of all of their sites, the, the Dome of the Rock on the Temple Mount is their number three site. You may not know this, but Palestinians have been offered part of Jerusalem going back to 1949. And then also, after the Six-Day War, it, and then several times through the 2000s, when the United States was trying to broker peace, there were offers made to the Palestinians of saying, look, you can have this part of Jerusalem to be your capital. Israel wants the Palestinians to have their own independent state. However, 
the Palestinians, their government, I'm not speaking for all of them as a people group, but their government has made an official position that they don't even recognize the state of Israel. They don't recognize the, the country of Israel. So imagine trying to have some kind of negotiations with another country where you're saying, we don't even acknowledge your right to, to exist. And so, so please understand, there's a long history of fighting here and a long history of trying to, to broker peace. But then having said this, it is a very difficult situation for people that live in Jerusalem because you literally have Palestinians and Jews living together in the same city and most of them are friends and most of them get along and most of them genuinely want to see Palestinians have a safe place to live and raise their kids and Jews to have a safe place to live and raise their kids. The three times that I've been there, uh, Jews and Palestinians are doing business together and they're partners together uh, and they, they, they care for each other and they're, they're deep friends. And so what you see in the news doesn't represent all of the relationships that, that are there. And then for us as believers, even though we know that Jerusalem historically and biblically, God has given to the nation of Israel, we have a heart for the Palestinians, don't we? Why? because they're God's people as well. God died for them. Jesus died on the cross for, for Jew and Gentile alike. And we want to see Palestinians come to know Christ as their Savior. And when we take this, this really hard-line stance on a position of Israel that I wholeheartedly believe in, without understanding how it affects people that live there, we're missing an opportunity to, to be able to, to share the gospel uh, with, with Palestinians. And so it's very difficult of what do we do with Jerusalem today? You know, how do we, how do we handle Jerusalem today? What does peace look like uh, in, in Jerusalem today? And it is exciting to see that there's a lot of Palestinians that are coming to know Christ as their Savior. And there's Palestinian churches and Palestinian pastors and and for the most part, there's a bigger response to the gospel right now in the Palestinian community than in the Jewish community. The Jewish community tends to be orthodox or atheist and rejects that Christ is the Messiah. Not all Jews living uh, in Israel. So I, I say that to say, I, I hope you do understand from a biblical and historical perspective, it's pretty clear God has, has given Jerusalem to the nation of Israel. But, but God is the one who's going to sort all that out. That the how and the when, God's going to sort all of that out. And we have to keep the biggest goal in mind, and that is that Jews and Gentiles would come to know Christ as their Savior and pray for the, the peace of, of Jerusalem. God desires that there would be uh, peace there in Jerusalem. And ultimately, it's not going to take place till the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, returns and rules and reigns. But it's a very complex situation. But it, it was amazing to me when Trump did say that we recognize uh, Jerusalem to be Israel's capital, how controversial that was. You know, that got the attention of the whole entire world. It, you mentioned Jerusalem, and then the UN's like, oh, oh we got to take a vote, right? And when they took a vote, only six other countries sided with the United States, and over 100 said we don't acknowledge that Jerusalem is, is the capital of Israel. Everybody's got an opinion on whether or not Jerusalem should be the capital of Israel. And we need to respect one another's opinions as believers. You know, When you sit down with believers, it seems like 
you know, believers have got a, a lot of opinions on, on Jerusalem and, and all of these things. And, and we need to have, be able to have a loving conversation with, with one another as we try to, to sort uh, these things out. But I think just by the fact that it's such a big controversy shows uh, the nature of uh, God doing something in, in uh, Jerusalem. So application, always important to bring application. Whether it's a few of these things that we touched on tonight or the reality that we're living in perilous times. You know, I was reminded even by today's events with uh, the shooting in, in Highlands Ranch of 2 Timothy 3. And I'll just read this to you. It says, but you know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Doesn't that seem like the world that we live in? So whether it's things happening in Israel or things that we see taking place in our culture, I think we can conclude that we're getting closer to the time of Christ's return. In Romans 13, 11, I'll just read these verses to you. It says, And do this, knowing the time, that now is high time to be awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. God says, know time. Know the time that you live in. And know that our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And so our response to these things of seeing signs leading up to the end is being awake spiritually. Being awake spiritually. Fully knowing Christ's love, living for Christ, pressing into Christ. Church, I don't think this is the time to put it on cruise control spiritually. If we do, I think we're just gonna get eaten up. You really have to decide. As we go into 2018, we've gotta choose, am I surrendered to Christ? Am I gonna follow Christ? Am I going to obey his word? Am I going to read his word? Church, go for it. What are we waiting for? What do we have to lose? The world needs hope. The world needs Jesus. The world's looking for Christ. And, and God's saying, okay, you see all these things happening? Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. But be awake. Maybe tonight God would want to wake you up in your relationship with him. It's an interesting spiritual concept that you can be the child of God going to heaven but be spiritually asleep. Basically, not pressing into Christ, not pressing into his mission, and the Lord's saying, it's time to wake up. You've had enough time asleep. And Satan, I'm sure, would love for us as believers to be asleep because we're no threat to his kingdom. It's like, all right. He's in spiritual amnesia. Great. Go on to the next person. So as you see these things, be awake spiritually. And this is an interesting response as well. It comes from Hebrews 10. It says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So God says you should be able to see the day approaching. And as you see the day approaching, don't forsake fellowshipping together with believers. And in fact, exhort one another daily. Challenge one another daily. 
love each other enough, care for each other enough to say, hey, are you loving Jesus? Are you spending time in the word? Are you walking in sexual integrity? Are you loving your spouse? Are you praying for your kids? That's exhortation. That's getting into each other's lives. God knows that there's a tendency inside of us over time to forsake being together with believers. And let's be honest. Sometimes we as believers are difficult to be around. Why? Because we're still sinners, aren't we? And we sin against each other, and you're going to get hurt by other brothers and sisters in Christ. Your church is going to let you down, and you can find a reason to say, you know, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the body of Christ. I'm doing me and Jesus till I go home to be with the Lord. And God says, no. That's a dangerous place to be as you see the day approaching. The essence of this verse is you're going to need one another as you see the day approaching. Guys, it's time to stop being critical of other believers. We're all part of the family of God. If there's other churches in town that love God's word, that are preaching the gospel, that are reaching the lost, that are growing, we are for them. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. So what if they do worship differently, right? So what if they do something that that makes us uncomfortable? Do they love Jesus? Are they committed to the word? Then we're committed to them. We need one another. We don't have time to be petty. We don't have time to be infighting and criticizing and and doing all those things. And the response to these things is saying, okay, Christ, I am submitted to you. I'm awake spiritually, but I am committed to the body of Christ. And I'm in a fellowship with believers. Man, I know time is so difficult to find, but don't shortchange yourself with fellowship with believers. Don't say, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop going to church. I'm going to stop getting together with my small group because I need more time. Go, no, I recognize time. It's leading to the end of all things. Man, I need to be at Wednesday night Bible study. I'm, I'm going to commit to the Saturday nights. I'm going to commit to my small group. I, I can't tell you how many times through the year the Lord's convicting me with Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Eric, don't forsake the fellowship with believers. You know, I'm in a small group with a group of guys Friday mornings, and we, we meet Friday mornings at 6.30. And most of the time, or 6.15, I show up at 6.30. Um, most of the time when I'm going to bed Thursday night, by Thursday night, it's, it's the low point in my week. And I'm like, Lord, I do not want to get up Friday morning. And I, I hear this verse in my mind. Don't forsake the, the fellowship and the gathering together of, of believers. We all need this accountability to be in fellowship. I think this is so important. Are you committed to fellowship? Have you committed yourself to being in fellowship with other believers? And then lastly, Revelations 22.2. Would you turn there with me? This is the very end of Scripture, and it's a response to the signs of the times. It's Revelation 22, verse 20. And he, he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. These are the last words of Christ in the Bible. And he says, gang, you can count on it. I'm coming quickly. Christmas, we celebrate Christ's first coming. Tonight, 
we're looking at Christ's promise of his second coming. He says, I'm coming quickly. Our response is, so be it. Amen. Lord, I'm looking forward to your return. And even so, Lord, come. So the cry of our hearts is, come, Lord. That's the cry of our hearts. That's our response to to these things. Not fear, not conspiracy theories, not those types of things, but Lord, come quickly. My eyes are upon your soon return. When things are wrapped up, they're going to be wrapped up. They're going to be done. And for all eternity, we're going to look back and go, wow, Jesus, you really did come quickly. It felt so long when we were going through this life, but Lord, you came quickly quickly. So I hope you're encouraged by these things. I hope these things move you to press into your relationship with the Lord, to press into the body of Christ, and to press into God using you. Hey, don't hang out with believers all of 2018. What? I thought he just said, don't forsake the gathering together with believers. Yeah, fellowship with believers for the purpose of getting equipped and filled up to go love on lost people. If we believe that Jesus is coming back and eternity is real, we should be involved in people's lives that don't know Christ as their Savior. This is too good to keep to ourselves. The world's too broken for us not to share with them the love of Jesus Christ. This is not the only place that God wants his name to be proclaimed. He wants it proclaimed out there. He wants it to proclaim to those that may never come inside of a church until they hear the, the name of Jesus Christ. God wants to use you this year. He's already got good works ordained for you you to walk in. Simply say yes to the Lord. Simply respond to him and say, okay, Lord, I'm looking for your return, but until you come, I want to be faithful. I want to be engaged in relationship with you, relationship with believers, and engaged in with those that don't know Christ as their Savior. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us signs and of the coming of your son. And we thank you for the promise that Jesus will come, that he will descend upon the Mount of Olives and rule and reign. It's difficult for us to imagine and comprehend. We definitely th- see things changing. We, we see things ramping up towards the second coming of Christ. And as we take communion tonight, Father, would you draw us near to you? And if we need to be woken up, would you wake us up, take us out of complacency? If we've gotten bitter towards the body of Christ, cynical towards the body of Christ, if we've drifted away from relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, would you stir us in forgiveness? Would you stir us in bearing with one another? May we recommit to being in fellowship. In Jesus, we cry, Lord, come quickly. We're looking for your return. We're longing for your return. And until you come, we want to see people come to know you. I pray for each of us that are here tonight that know you, that this year would be a year that we could be laboring in your field, where we could be able to have opportunities to be in the lives of unbelievers, to share the gospel, to see people come to know you, to see you open people's eyes and ears to you. We pray for opportunities in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our families, in this city, outside of this city. Lord, personally and as a church, would you continue to open up doors for us to proclaim your name. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.